Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Laura Greer. Before we get to Laura, I do have some information, and that is, of course, our website. Go to TravelTalesPodcast.com. Check out all the articles. Check out the stories on the guests. You can see their photos and uh, see the links to all their websites. And there you will find links to all our social media as well. Click on them to go to Instagram. We are Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. We are on uh, Stitcher Radio. You can go there and subscribe. And also a button for iTunes. Go there. And if you're on iTunes, please subscribe. And please give us a good rating. huh? That helps people find the show because it boosts our presence. And that's always a cool thing. If you want to write me, it's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That is TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I hope you did. Mine was interesting. I did my first cruise gig. Uh, Let me paint the scenario for you. I got the boat down in St. Lucia. I had to take a red eye on Saturday night before Thanksgiving. Got to Miami in the morning. Had to take another three and a half hour flight, which is longer to St. Lucia than I thought it would be from Miami, but it is three and a half hours. Took an hour and a half cab ride with a nice Rasta man named Philbert <laughs> to the hotel and uh, spent the night in St. Lucia on Sunday night, met the boat Monday morning and uh, found out I only had two shows on uh, Tuesday night. And that was it. One show seven, one show nine. And uh, that was it for the week. And I was scheduled to stay on there till Sunday, which is a lot of downtime. Not going to lie to you. And, uh, I had said before that uh, cruising, not really my thing. And uh, now more than ever, I think that's the case. The shows went okay in my mind. The first one a little rusty. A lot of older folks. By older, I mean in their 60s, some in their 70s. And uh, it was playing in a big 900-seat theater and a large stage. People were far away. Two-level theater. And uh, yeah, it was a slog, man. It was hard. had to be squeaky clean. And uh, the shows went okay. Second one, a little more crowded, a little better. And uh, that was it. And by Tuesday night, I'm on this boat, had a cold already to begin with. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do for four days on this boat uh, by myself with all these old couples? And after you work out for an hour a day, uh, what is there to do? And you'll say, Mike, well, you stop at some ports. Yes. Uh, the next day, all that was stopped. So Wednesday and Thursday, we stopped. Uh, the stops were St. Kitts, and then on Thursday in St. Martin. And then Friday and Saturday, were all at sea. So after I was done Tuesday night, I said to myself, what am I going to do? And I asked the cruise director, who was a nice man, said, uh, hey, can I leave? My family's in Florida, and I'm done Tuesday. 
can I jump ship Wednesday or Thursday and get home for Thanksgiving? By home, I mean my sister's home or my mom's home in Central Florida. And he said, yeah, we're not paying for it, but you can leave. And then uh, so the next day, I immediately, uh, as soon as we docked in St. Kitts, I ran out and grabbed some of that free Wi-Fi because on the ship it's insanely expensive and slow. And uh, found a flight that afternoon to Miami, a nonstop on American, my airline. Ended up cashing in some miles. Not too bad, 17500 one way. More than I wanted to do, but I took the hit. And um, was on a flight that afternoon. Made it to Miami, rented the car, long story short, made it to my mom's house uh, before 11 o'clock. Surprised the hell out of everybody. Didn't saw my aunt and uncle who were in town from Connecticut. My brother was in from Chicago. And uh, next day we went to my sister's, saw my niece and nephew and everybody and the whole family. It was great. And I spent uh, the rest of the week in Florida. Sunday, drove back to Miami, flew home. So... Uh, my cruise experience, uh, I don't know what's going to happen when the reviews come in of the show. Uh, I have two weeks of them scheduled back in the Caribbean over the holidays. Boy, uh, now I know what to expect. It's, uh, two weeks is a long time. After two days, I got to be honest, I was ready to get off the ship. But um, uh, I don't know. Don't know if that's going to be my future. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be. But I never burn bridges. And there but for the grace of God, who knows? I'm not going to never say never, but um, uh, I got to spend Thanksgiving with my family, and that was, that was my cruise story. <laughs> we'll have more by the end of this month, for sure. Or not. Maybe they'll uh, say, Mike, your services are no longer needed on the cruise. But we'll see. Anyway, Laura Greer, she's a photographer and a very successful one, actually. Flies all over the world shooting some of the most incredible wedding photos you've ever seen. There'll be links to her sites uh, on the uh, TravelTalesPodcast.com if you go there. We met on Facebook through a mutual friend. So this discussion you're going to hear is the first time I met her in her very cool apartment right on the beach in beautiful Venice, California. So please enjoy my talk with the lovely and charming Laura Greer. It's a nice day for a white wedding It's a nice day to start again You were there? I was dating a guy that lived in St. Martin while I was in college. And I went to as office. one is wont to do. <laughs> well, Where do you meet a, a guy from St. Martin? <laughs> no, I, I was, he was a friend of mine from high school. We had met in high school and then we reconnected in college and then he was living there. So I was like, what a great place to go for spring break. And then it just was it ended up being a disaster. And then the holiday ended. The holiday ended. <laughs> the good times And ended. at the time, my mom was working for a crime and narcotics at the CIA. And so she was what? really upset. She was really upset that I was going to St. Martin because she was, her task force was looking for Spadaro, who is this massive drug lord that lives in St. Martin and like runs everything. Like he owns all the casinos in Maho Beach and then blah, blah, blah. So my mom is sending me terror reports, like, look out for this guy. I'm like, Mom, I'm going for spring rates. I mean, a boyfriend. I'm really not going to look for Spadaro, okay? But true story. The guy's like this massive 300 and something pound. Like, you can't miss this dude. He's like a nasty, fat, like, drug lord guy. I'm at an ice cream shop in Maho Beach, and the guy was sitting two tables away from me. What? Oh, my God. Did you, did you like... 
Um, Call your mom. Be like, hey. Well, the thing is, my mom, here. my he's mom, here. like, no, they, they knew that he was there and everything, but they just couldn't catch him. Like, they couldn't get anything on him. You know what I mean? They they knew where he was. I mean, they could go in and swoop in again, but there wasn't anything. He was being so good about covering his tracks that they were they were not able to. Uh, this is a drug lord. Drug lord guy. Hmm. So I actually saw the guy. Like, I actually saw him sitting next to me in an ice cream shop, and it was a really surreal. Um, okay, so you mentioned the CIA. Tell me about where you came from and uh, this mysterious past of your parents. Mysterious past. Um, I had an unusual upbringing. I'm one of four girls, and both of my parents uh, were CIA. They're now both retired. So we were traveling a lot when we were younger, and I actually grew up in Indonesia. Um, we were in Thailand, and my parents were in Brazil and Africa before I was born with my sisters. And we just have this kind of what I like to call wanderlust, which is why I named my travel photography business Wanderlust, because all of us have it. My sisters and I live all over the world. We've done a ton of traveling, can't really sit still. And I think we just got that kind of bug from our parents and our upbringing. Was this a uh, situation when you couldn't say what your parents did to people? Were they well, like, undercover? Well, it wasn't we couldn't say. We didn't even know. So our parents didn't You didn't even tell. know? Yeah. They told us that they worked for the State Department up until I, I was about 15 or 16 was when I discovered my well, It's mom. not really untrue. I mean, it's not really... Oh, it's totally untrue, but it's like, the lamest cover. I mean, the State Department <laughs> is not that far off. That's know? what I mean. It's just like, it's... Eh, State Department, yeah. Nobody really... I really think the State Department itself is just a cover for all the other agencies because they're like, what does the State Department even do? Well, in D.C., anywhere that grows up around D.C., it's almost like, as my friend who moved there, he said it's like growing up in Hollywood where it's everybody's in... It's a one-industry town. Everybody works for the government in some aspect. Yeah, they said one out of nine people are spies in the D.C. area, Northern Virginia, (laughs) in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, and I mean, I believe it. So when did you move back to D.C.? And you stayed there through like high school and stuff? Yeah, so... I grew up there um, probably from five years old on. I was in and around Northern Virginia because I'm the youngest of four. So my older sister was already nine and and my parents really didn't want to keep yanking her out of school and stuff like that. But yeah, I always grew up in the Northern Virginia area. And then all of us, my sisters and I all worked at Langley ourselves um, during college. So if you are the daughter or son of an employee, they really want you to work there uh, because, you know, it's cheaper for taxpayers to have a child of a of an agent or whatever working there because they've already been background checked and you know you've already been vetted sort right. of right and as we know government agencies always conscious of saving money and <laughs> being right. under budget they're trying keeping it in the family yeah yeah and plus they don't have to yeah like clear you I guess security wise well they do well so even with that they still had to do I had to go through like a year of background checks and 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 I didn't realize it when I was my freshman year of college. I guess they sent people up to campus to ask about me because people were coming up to me saying, you know, these guys are asking questions about you on campus and they were doing background checks. Oh, wow. Where no was, what college? Syracuse. Oh, okay. Upstate. Yeah. That's nice. That's why I live in Los Angeles now. After <laughs> <laughs> four years of that. <laughs> Get your fair share of snow. Yeah. I, I once had to do a gig in Herkimer, I don't even New know York. about it. That's that's near Syracuse. There's like Herkimer College or something, and there was like a big college yeah. conference there. It was not a big school. How long have you been doing stand up? Uh, that's you know, <laughs> Wait, like, which is odd because I'm only 29, and this was a while ago. Uh, uh, no, well, I think it was uh, came to this town it was like 20, uh, a little over 20 years. Actually, 24 maybe. Um, wow. I moved here in '97. That's right. You beat me by three years. Oh, okay. I came here in 2000. Okay, and what 
And so in between, you went right from Syracuse to here? Oh, yeah. Uh, I just packed up my car with everything I owned and drove out west. And To do what? To do photography, but I was completely broke when I graduated. So didn't want to be an actress? Did not want to be an actress. Okay. I just knew I wanted to go where it was warm. Because after driving, you know, after living in Syracuse, it was so freezing. And I packed up everything I owned in my little car. And I was, I'm like, I'm going to drive west till I hit Los Angeles. Because I had talked to a friend of mine, actually my cousin, um, who's a photographer. And he said, it's either New York or LA. Like, those are the two places. And... I always thought I would end up in New York, so I thought it would be much easier to be a starving artist in Los Angeles. I'll just drive <laughs> out there. But you probably knew a lot more people in New York. I, yeah, I mean, I knew everybody. And right. I was f- kind of figured I would end up there, so I just didn't really, you know, I, I just thought it would be kind of like a fun little jaunt for two years or something. So I drove, and I made it as far as Nashville, Tennessee, before I ran out of gas and realized I had no money for gas, money to even make it to Los Angeles. <laughs> so I had to... Pawn my violin at a pawn shop in Nashville, Tennessee, <laughs> to get gas money to make it to Los Angeles. So and you had you played violin? I did play, and I mean I still do, but it's terrible. You don't want to hear me right now. Bring it out. No, I'm kidding. Uh, please, <laughs> you will you will end this podcast immediately if you hear my violin. I mean, I can play, but I, I, it's so scratchy. It's not a forgiving instrument like the piano. Yeah. I'm better on the piano. Nashville's a little south. I don't know what direction you were driving. I was in Virginia, and I went down on the forty. So okay. you cut down to yeah. Nashville and cut over. Gotcha. So, um, well, you didn't make it far. I didn't make it that far. What did you leave with? Like twenty dollars? I had like a hundred <laughs> bucks, and it didn't. I I needed to get a hotel, and oh. it was. I didn't plan very well. <laughs> I was like, I've got it. I'm going to well, Los Angeles. How much you get for the violin? I only got like two hundred and fifty bucks or something. I could buy some gas. It was pretty mm. much enough to buy gas and get me to L.A. Did you um, do it all in one shot? That's what I did when I. I did. I stopped in Oklahoma City. I randomly knew a person there, and I stopped, I stopped there. And I stopped through Albuquerque, but just like to sleep for a few hours. And I stopped one other place um, along the way. I want to say in Texas Vegas? somewhere. No, Marstow? that's kind of up. I went over to uh, Phoenix. I stopped there. And oh, you were down friends. there. Okay. I cut down from Flags out to Phoenix, and then I just went all the way Arizona to L.A. And then you ended up here. Mm-hmm. And did you know anybody? What did you do? I knew no one. Uh, I was living out of my car, mm. and I got a bartending job. Oh, at Dublin's. Is this the one at Dublin's? Yeah. And then in my first week of bartending, I had two very serendipitous things happen. One, uh, one of my customers ended up being the executive producer of Wheel of Fortune, and I had no idea, and I was sitting there playing the Wheel of Fortune game at the bar, and I was <laughs> just talking trash, like, I should be on this show. I'd clean up if I was on this show. And he just paid his bill and kind of laughed and left his business card. And he was the executive producer. So he invited me to be on the show. And I ended up winning like $7,000 until I bought my first camera. Because I didn't even own a camera. Oh, wow. I had a degree, but I didn't own a camera. You I went Because I was on. too broke. So a buddy of mine got on last year. Yeah. And uh, they can win so much more money you now. Can, you can win a lot more money. But the problem is, and, he, and they told him, and, he was, and it turned out to be right. He said, you can't beat the wheel. He did nothing wrong. He guessed one right, but he hit bankrupt, uh, I think, like three times. Wow. And he's like, it was just the worst luck. And the moron who kept guessing wrong ended up winning at the end because she didn't hit bankrupt and and it was almost all solved by the time it got to her. And he was just like, oh, because he was just killing it. And then he hit bankrupt, like at least twice, at least twice. He ended up winning like seven grand. Well, I don't think it was like seven. 
maybe like five grand or something. Yeah, well, now it's not bad. Win like almost a million dollars. Yeah, you and... could. You thought he was like, this is it, and he needed the money bad. Oh, you know? yeah, it was really kind of. Bummer. I made it to the final puzzle, and the word was begonias, which I didn't even know what a begonia was, but now I do. <laughs> now I know, and the clue was living thing, and I didn't have the G. So it was just like, I had no idea. I was just thinking, I wasn't thinking plant. I was thinking animal and I just couldn't guess it. And it was for $25,000, which And it was me, living like, thin? Living. No, no. Like, <laughs> yeah, the G's. It's like, what, what goes there? No. It was, um, but it, yeah. So I, I didn't guess it. And that was kind of traumatic for me. But I mean, I got to be on the show and that was pretty cool. And I won seven grand. So that hey, was good. That's enough. So and you got your first camera. Got my first camera. And the other thing that happened to me was I ended up being asked to be on a really messed up reality show uh, called Love Cruise. So I, one of my first customers <laughs> were these two guys that came in and they were casting... Everybody out there, Google Love Cruise, YouTube. Oh God, you can probably find the Maiden Voyage. It's called like Love Cruise Maiden Voyages on Fox and you will see the... I think you'll probably find the trailer for it. I don't that think one season? It. it was like... Yeah, it lasted one season and it was eight single guys and eight single girls like on a pirate ship going around the Caribbean. And, and you're all supposed to hook up on this... You're all supposed to hook up and then you get voted off to Loser Island, which was Aruba. Like, like one cup, like one guy and one girl gets voted off every week, and we had to walk the plank and jump of off the boat yeah. in the ocean. It was I very dramatic. I can't believe this didn't make it. The reason it didn't make it is because nine eleven happened, and oh, then it just so ruined. Is, it aired like right when nine eleven was going on. This is really early in the reality show game. Yeah, I mean, I came out in two thousand, and it happened, and it started. It was airing. I filmed it in two thousand, but it aired in two thousand one. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't do too well on the show, though. I mean, I didn't last that long. I don't have like the whole conniving. You need drama. Alliance, they want they want crazy people. Thing. They want crazy people. I mean, Maybe I have enough crazy stuff that happens okay. to me, but I didn't play the game. Like I didn't. Right. I wasn't, you know, conniving enough. <laughs> <laughs> but what is so you must have made something off that. I mean, they paid me to be on it, but it wasn't. I mean, it was maybe like five, six thousand dollars. But to me, that was a lot of money. It's another at the time. camera. That was just that's an apartment. No, that was an apartment. Okay, that got me a... out of my car. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> so those are the two things that got me going. And then I could get started. Okay. So when did the travel uh, photography and all the other stuff come? Well, I mean, I was always traveling and uh, I started working at a photo studio and I was doing a lot of headshots and fashion stuff like that. But I was kind of living off my credit cards at that time. I always would just go on trips with my sisters and my oh. sisters were living in Europe and they still are. And so they would refer me jobs for friends of theirs over there shooting weddings. And um, I would just meet people while I was traveling. So I kind of was traveling for fun more at that time and doing kind of free jobs to get travel jobs. But what was paying the bills was shooting actors and fashion and red carpet and stuff. stuff. Yeah, that kind okay. of stuff. At the time. Right. And then I started doing weddings and that became, I just kind of blew up that business. And, um, and most people in Los Angeles, it's sort of a transient town as you know. And so, uh, most people that get married here, a lot of times they want to have a destination wedding or they'll have two weddings, one here and one somewhere else. So that kind of launched my whole travel through destination weddings. And I was doing a lot of that. So you would follow them to, say, Mexico or back to their hometown? Yeah. Whatever? I mean, I've shot weddings in, in six continents. Uh, I've wow. been in Tanzania. I've been, you know, in South America shooting, Peru, and uh, now I'm going to Colombia next month. You know, um, a lot of Caribbean islands over in Asia, Bali, Indonesia. Um, Love it over there. A lot of, lot of places. So a lot of people have these very exotic weddings and I kind of, I'm sort of an adventure uh, explorer. So I usually get these kind of 
brides that want to do crazy things like spelunk into glowworm caves or trash their dress in Stingray City or something. What was the, uh, in your mind, the request that came to you and you went, man, I don't know if I can pull this off. What's the craziest wedding request? Ooh, craziest wedding request. Um, gosh, I mean, the one... Should we wait for that? No, okay. Okay, it doesn't even matter. Um, the craziest wedding request... I mean, shooting in Africa was intense because logistically it was just kind of really difficult to get there. And they had the whole wedding party going on safari beforehand. And then we had to make it over to Zanzibar Island. And there was no coordinator or timeline or plan. And at one point, you know, we'd only met on Skype. And so I remember flying into the airport and they were about an hour late to picking me up. And when I'm sitting in the airport in like Dar es Salaam, I had this moment of... Yeah, I didn't really plan this well. Like, what if no one comes to pick me up? I'm really just flew to Africa, having no plan, no real contact information, no real, you know, no idea of what's really happening, and anything could happen to me. It was one of those not those oh shit moments, you know. Um, but it worked out, and and then the safari we went on was really rustic. It wasn't some you know, like we're glamping. It wasn't glamping. <laughs> we, we showed up, there were these huts. We're in a real reserve. It's kind of where the locals go. And it was too dangerous to even walk to the front desk to ask for anything. If you wanted something, there was a green flag that you stuck outside of your hut and like a Maasai warrior would come to your hut and deliver it to you. Cause like lions or baboons or whatever could come get you. If you try to walk to the front desk, what part was it? Cause I was in, I did Kilimanjaro last year and I, and I went to the Ngoro Goro crater. And, okay. So and you're whole... in the very, which is amazing. But you were more on the touristy side, which is like yeah. the Serengeti part. We were probably about four hours east of that in the Mizumi National Park. So it was in between Dar es Salaam and, and where you were. What did you think of Zanzibar? Because I went there after the climb just to like chill for three days because I was wiped out. And I just sat and like hung out. It felt because I think I got some altitude sickness. And so when I got after the climb, I came off. And I just basically just hung around a hotel pool. Did you go to the Rock restaurant? No. Which which one was that? <sighs> That's the best part of Zanzibar, other than scuba diving. But um, this fisherman lives on a rock. Oh, the one where it's out there in the tide. Yeah. No, I didn't get there. And he he like whatever he catches that day, he serves as a restaurant there, and you have to like take a boat, or if it's low tide, you can walk out there. I made the mistake of going scuba diving, and. Uh, Oh, after being up, up yeah. at the... <gasps> <gasps> yeah. Oh, no. And by the second dive, uh, my body went, you know, we're, we're done with any physical activity, I think, for the rest uh, of the weekend. No, I loved Zanzibar because, I mean, it was sort of just poor Africa, but on an island, you know, yeah. it was... But it was it was beautiful. And the couple that I had gone with really knew Zanzibar well. They'd gone scuba diving there a lot. So they kind of took me to their special places. Okay. And, um, and we became friends with the Maasai warriors that were there and got to tour their village and stuff. So I had a kind of a magical experience on Zanzibar, but we were also staying at a nice resort. Right. And we had places that we were being taken. And So how does the typical uh, job go that they go, okay, we'll cover your airfare and, and your, all your travel. Yeah. And there's a, a shoot fee and it's all one big thing or yeah it's kind of tough because i mean i end up probably making working harder and making a little bit less money when i'm on destination because i mean i usually charge my normal fee and then travel costs on top of it but there has to be a point where it's makes sense for the client you know if they're gonna fly like the ticket to africa was twenty five hundred dollars and then they're paying for my hotel and all that and so if they're paying my normal fee on top of that it might not make sense and they're paying for my safari and all this. So it has to make sense enough for them to want to bring me out, but also 
you know, makes sense for me to go to. But I end up usually lowering my rate a little bit just to kind of offset some of the travel costs. But yeah, they'll, they'll pay all my travel and my... So there's a, um, a comedian who just did the show right before you, uh, Trish Sir, who just had her, she had her wedding down in Mexico. And this is the first I've heard of this trashier dress thing where she did it in one of those, um, what's it, cenote? Is yeah. It the, yeah. Yeah. And then you go down and then there was a whole, uh, uh, there's a company down there, I guess it's famous for this kind of photography. And they took it, there's a whole lighting rig down there and then they have like oxygen and all this stuff. That- Some people, I've done that before in the Cenotes, but we didn't actually do the crazy. I mean, we did some underwater, and I did that with a, a point and shoot. We did most of it just there in the water, and I'm shooting it. I had no idea this was a thing. It's a thing down there. Well, the water is so clear you can do it, but the, the whole shooting underwater is very difficult. Um, you have to weigh people down. You actually have to tie people down or weigh them down with the rocks, and that's why, you know, because you, you just float up, and it's very difficult. And as I said, her dress was like... You know, when it absorbs water, really weighing her down, and yeah, yeah. she was like know, almost drowning. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it's a whole thing, but and I don't think people look that cute underwater. You know, I just think that it's just well, perhaps you haven't seen my recent La Quinta commercial <laughs> where I'm swimming with sharks. But I don't know. In a I mean, suit, by the way, which is not easy either. Really? Oh yeah, I was I was in that tank for like four hours in a suit, full suit, shoes, and everything, and to swim in it, and it does weigh you down, and you get exhausted. After you have to show me this. Oh, yeah, it's on. It's on. Is it TV? It's airing right now. Yeah. Oh my god, that's freaking hilarious. I, um, I love it because there there are trends like that. The trash address became a trend. I feel like it's turning into more of an elaborate adventure, uh, fashion kind of shoot now. Instead of just trashing the dress, it's turning into like a full day. If you're on destination, you might as well take advantage that you're in a foreign place and run around and do crazy adventurous photos somewhere. Um, so for me, it's turned into a full day thing, not just about, I mean, I've had brides ask me to light their dress on fire and like what? jump into the ocean and go down spelunking or, um, you know, swimming with stingrays around their dress. And what other things have I had? I mean, like like throwing pigment at the dress. I mean, like all kinds of things. <laughs> These girls really don't want this dress. They do. <laughs> it's like, man, remember when they used to save it? No, no. Declutter. Uh, so what? Uh, what was the spelunking thing with the? You said there was one that was. Yeah, so that was in New Zealand, and there's the oh where the glowworm caves and uh, the by Wai- Queenstown Waitomo. No, it's on the North Island oh, near okay. Auckland, and it's the Waitomo glowworm caves and. Um, yeah, you, in order to get in there, you have to, wow, did he just fall off the ladder? Not too good. Um, (laughs) in order to get into this, to the glowworm caves, you have to kind of shimmy through this hole in the middle of a sheep farm. Like you actually, are you hearing that? Okay. So for people that don't know, there's some kind of construction. (laughs) And we are right on the, I should say, I'm going to paint the setting here. We are in this awesome, uh, apartment right on the, right on Venice beach. And when I say right on it, I mean, I'm, we're looking right at it. Like You're if right a on whale the, wanted to jump out of the water, we would see it. Which it right might. Now. And it has happened before. Mm-hmm. And we had to shut the windows because literally people are walking on the Because the boardwalk. waves were just too loud. Waves are just too loud. This is an awesome place. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's zen. It's pretty calm considering all great. the craziness. It's yeah, I know. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. You're going. So um, these glowworm caves, uh, this farmer discovered the, this cave system because he kept on losing sheep and he didn't know where they're going. And they were falling in this hole in between these roots of this tree and just disappearing. So one day he discovered this hole and he shimmied down in it and discovered a whole crazy cavern 
with an underground river. So they call it blackwater rafting because you can actually raft underground through caverns. Right, I've heard of like this. Whole thing. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, I went there for a wedding and one of the side activities they wanted to do um, was spelunking in these glowworm caves. And, you know, they like suit you up in a wetsuit, but you're in the middle of a sheep farm. And you're like, why am I in a wetsuit? They don't really explain it. And there was a little map drawn in the middle of the, of the sheep farm. And there were little cartoon characters. And on it was a little cartoon eel in the water. And I'm like, huh, what's, what's the eel for? They're like, oh, it's eel-infested water. You're like, ha-ha, because, you know, the Kiwis are really sarcastic. So mm. I thought he was just full of shit. And then, taking the piss? Taking the piss. thought it was taking the piss, mate. Um, whatever he was doing, he wasn't wrong. And so when we got in, we like shimmy through, we, we climb in through this hole in a sheep farm. You end up in this cavern. Sometimes you're a sniper crawling. You're going through, you're swimming through water. that's freezing underground. You're going through these little areas. And then all of a sudden you turn off your headlamps and you're waist deep in the water. And they tell you to turn off your headlamps. So you can look up and it looks like the galaxy above you. There's all these glow worms. It's beautiful. But, Do they glow when you hit the light on them? Or they no, glow they glow themselves, but when you don't see them that well when you have your headlamp on. So you turn off your headlamps and you can see okay, them. Yeah. And all of a sudden you feel something kind of brush against you in the water. And you think someone's like hitting you and touching you and you realize that there's living eels in the water swimming around <laughs> you and you're in the dark. And it was one of my just gnarliest moments because I have a thing about dark water. I just If I can't see what's swimming around me, it kind of bugs me. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so that was a kind of a fear factor moment where I was like, okay, there's nothing you can do. You're deep in the earth. You're in eel-infested water, and you're in the dark and just surrounded by glowworms. Okay, just breathe, you know? <laughs> but it was magical, but a little kind of scary at the same time, but it was awesome. Is this that, a, is it, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that, that was all part of one of the adventures for, for a wedding. Is this all photos, or do you do video as well? Well, you know what? I just started doing video and writing actually in the last year, and I actually talked about how to how I'm I've become a triple threat this year. You know, like the old school actors have to be able to dance and sing and act as well. But um, I feel like as a photographer, you have to be able to do video and write and social media and all that stuff now because that's what they expect out of you now. I mean, all these people on Instagram are kind of doing photo, video, and writing not professionally, but they're kind of all a three in one sort of media capture. And so as a photographer, I find that I've had to kind of start following suit and sharing information in the same way. That's the way it's going as video right now. But doesn't there's something, I know I, I'm, I feel the same thing and I have to do it all too, but don't you feel like there's something, there's still something about a still photo Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm never going to be just a videographer. I'm never going to just transition over. I'm always going to be a photographer first. And everything else, I think, will kind of augment that. But um, I I think stills are still more powerful. I do. Video is powerful to wait because it gets you in different senses. You can really be absorbed and the music can really move you. But there's something very powerful about a still image that you can tell whatever story you want through that image, even by just attaching different words to it, which I think is, was important. But video is, is very powerful in its own right, but it's just a different medium. It's very different than what I do. I don't see things in video. Have you ever had a request where you just went, I can't No. What, what have you ever turned down one that was just too crazy? A wedding or just any type a wedding, of wedding, anything or any time. But- yeah, actually a friend of mine, um, is a kind of a daredevil stunt, uh, 
aerialist pilot in air shows and he wanted me to I'm already be, nauseous. I'm already <laughs> throwing up. He wanted me to be the photographer on one of these crazy you know like the ones that are just doing flips and spins and whatever yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. really dangerous. Um a lot of times they're hanging outside of these planes like attached hanging to the wing of the plane right. shooting. And as much fun and crazy as that sounds, I've just seen too many planes crash at air shows that I feel like I would really be just tempting fate in that no one. No way. Just slap a GoPro on there. I know. You thank know? you. Fa- Ugh, so awful. I was like, yeah, maybe I'll pass on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame you. So, okay. Going back to growing up all over the place. What, and you moved back to D.C. when you were nine, did you say? No, that my older sister was. I was around five. Okay. So do you, what do you remember from living in all these other places? Like, as a kid, you absorb everything. And what do you, what stands out? Well, you know what? When I go to Bali, Indonesia now, I um, it really feels like home to me. And I don't think that's an accident because that's where I was growing up was in, not right in Bali, but in Indonesia. And the sounds and the smells. And when I step off the plane on that island, there's something very nostalgic about that. And I think to me, I remember the smell of the incense and the offerings. And I love white rice and I love their food. and I love their the spices. And um, I remember they had these bechaks, which are kind of, like the bicycle taxis. Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to have to go to school in one of those. And <laughs> so I remember those. Um, I remember riding around in those and I remember being carried around in a sarong by by the servants. And that, that we were that wealthy, <laughs> but that's how it was back then. And um and yeah, there there are things like that that I think have definitely triggered me later on in life, whether I realize it or not. It's not that I remember tons i have little snippets and moments but i think how it shaped me is that i'm very open-minded i'm very accepting of cultures um things don't bother me when i travel i'm not bothered if things are dirty or weird or different or um you know unorthodox or whatever it is i i i feel like i can kind of just go with the flow and i think that probably comes from growing up around that what was the one country that you've been to that you felt like you didn't know much about it going in, but it just exceeded your expectations. Like you had no idea that you went, oh, I, I didn't think I'd like this place this much. Um, the Republic of Georgia and Egypt. Okay, I've never been. In both of those. Egypt was amazing. Um, why the Republic of Georgia yeah. exceeded my expectations? Um, I honestly knew nothing about it. I knew it bordered Russia. Um, I didn't really know the political climate there i mean i figured out immediately when i landed because russia was about to invade when we were there and what was year like, was this this was maybe six years ago seven, yeah, six okay. or seven and uh i knew that kazakhstan bordered it i knew it bordered the um, and you knew borat was from there. the black sea yeah and borat right <laughs> so i you know honestly that's like probably the worst reference because that was my idea of it Isn't you know that, yeah i know and i just i don't think it, they like it much either well anything that ends with or as as stand or any of the stands, any, stands, any, any of the stands, stands yeah. I yeah. feel like you just have the idea of it being kind of like this dusty, arid, kind of wasteland of a place. And I know it's a horrible thing to say, but that's the impression I've had of the stands. So I kind of just expected Georgia to kind of be that way, and it was totally the opposite. It was very lush. Um, there were like rolling green hills and mountains and castles in the countryside and vineyards and cathedrals and rivers and it was actually really beautiful and the food was amazing there just like 
what you would think of Mediterranean food, kind of hunks of cheese and kebabs and olives and hummus, was, a lot of hummus. Yeah, a lot of that kind of stuff okay. and bread, just thick loaves of bread and meat. And it was just um, really good. Everything just felt kind of wholesome there. And I, I enjoyed Georgia a lot. It was totally different than what I thought it would be like. Now, I've uh, not been to Egypt because every time I've gone or been nearby, there's always been some reason I couldn't go. Um, I've heard mixed things. I know. I actually just Uh, got invited to shoot a wedding there. I shot a wedding here in San Diego for a Muslim couple, and they're having a second wedding in Egypt uh, during Christmas this year. And I just turned it down because it's really just not safe to go there right now. Yeah, as I'm so devastated about it because to be in Egypt right now, I mean... I love Egypt. I think it's a beautiful, magical place. And to go with a family for a wedding and take a felucca boat down to the Nile, like the Valley of the Kings would be epic. But I honestly feel like, especially during some sort of Christian holidays, I, I just think it's asking for trouble to, yeah. to go there right now. But, um, it's, Egypt was awesome. I, I was there for three weeks. I, you know, did the pyramids and that sort of thing, but I was there during Ramadan and, um, I actually got, I was there with my sisters and we got in a fight on day two and separated and I never saw them again. It was kind of like Great. a really crazy story. Great. And, um, I was there with a girlfriend of mine. How and long ago was this? This was, this was when in 2000, it was like right before I moved out to LA. So old enough for you guys to know better. Oh yeah. I mean, I was, I was eight, <laughs> okay. I was, when I was 20, 21, 21. Now looking back, okay. Just what was the argument about? What was it? Oh, my sister couldn't find the bathroom. Well, and, uh, well <laughs> you got to split up. You know, of course. <laughs> she got really frustrated because, well, the real story, let's just, let's just peel back the onion. Yeah. Her boyfriend was supposed to come and didn't. It's not about the bathroom. No, it's, it wasn't about the bathroom. She was pissed off that her boyfriend didn't come and that I had a girlfriend that was there with me. And her twin, my other sister, had her boyfriend there. So she was like the odd man out. Oh. And she was just being a bitch. Let's just be honest. So she couldn't find the bathroom, flipped out about it, like started yelling at me. Like for something really ridiculous, we got in a fight and then split up and then just never met up again. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you go? Well, I was really frustrated and I started crying because I was really pissed off. Like I couldn't believe my sister would start a fight with me in the middle of this crowded Conkalili market in the middle of nowhere and I don't speak <laughs> the language. And um, so these triplets, these guys saw me crying, talking to my girlfriend. And so they came over and brought... I'm sure they did. Here they, we go. This, they, is, this is where... They were very kind. And yeah, they, were they? I'm they, sure. <laughs> they brought us bowls of food Aww. and mm-hmm. thought we were crying because we were hungry. These are locals or other... Locals. Tor- and they were okay. actually there with a bunch of friends. So there was a whole group of them. And... They took us in with their friend group. They were there on the holiday uh, for Ramadan, like off school. And they thought we were just like, we must have looked really pathetic because they thought we were just poor and hungry and crying. And so um, they gave us food and then they kind of just sort of adopted us. They took us in and took us around there. They decided to just take us around their country. They really wanted to show us Egypt. So we were traveling like 15 of their friends and they took us to their home and their parents cooked for us. And we went uh, down to the Red Sea and Dahab and we hiked Mount Sinai together. And we, <laughs> we had this epic adventure for like three weeks. And I never, that's why I never saw my sisters again. Like these locals just took us in and like, oh, wow. adopted us. It that's was kind great. of, it was really cool. And it totally changed my opinion on, I mean, cause I didn't know anything about the Muslim culture or, or religion. And I learned a lot by hanging out with them during one of their religious holidays. And, and then I also learned a lot about, how hospitable they are. I mean, they have to fast during the day. They can't eat at all or drink anything, yet they will take in total strangers and cook to us like a Thanksgiving-style feast while during the day when they couldn't even eat and they're starving. Would, and they just watched you eat it? And they just watched us eat. They wanted to make sure we had food. <laughs> we'll and just I just smell it. I just thought that would... 
was like one of the coolest, nicest gestures anyone could do that they I mean what American do you know that would take in two Muslim strangers and cook for them and and take them around their country and and treat them like family I, I really don't know None. any American that they would turn the hose on them yeah so I it really showed me uh, you know I, I honestly wish that more Americans would travel and get to experience other religions and cultures because it would change their opinion on it well I mean that's a sad thing that's one of the things I was you know it's a recurring theme on the show here that, you know, to encourage more people to go. And it's a lot of fear and it's a lot of, uh, I understand the, a lot of people don't have money, you yeah. know, but I also, one of the things we talk about it that it, you don't need as much as you think you need. And a lot of it is uh, airfare. But once you get there, these are the same people who say they can't afford it, but then they'll go to Vegas and blow like two grand yeah. in a weekend. And I go, give me two grand and I'll, I'll go to, I'll do two weeks in Asia. You know what I mean? Oh it's my just... god, Asia especially. It's so easy to travel away. It's really easy to travel cheaply. Um, you know, I mean, and not have to do it like a total vagabond either. There there are no, ways yeah. to do it. And especially you now with Airbnb being huge all over the world, you can most definitely live well or even live with a family if you really wanted to. But um I'm lucky that a lot of my travel gets paid for and then while I'm there it's easy to jaunt somewhere else or stay longer. Um, but man, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I did adventures on my credit cards knowing I would just pay it off when I get home. Cause honestly, when's the next time you're going to be young or have the time to do it? And a lot of these adventures are a little physically rigorous yeah. and I don't see myself waiting till I'm retired to go hike some of these mountains and things like that. You know, you kind of have to do it now while it's easier. So my dad told me he thought he could wait till he retired and, you know, and do it all. And then his body fell apart. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, it's hard. It's hard to be crammed in an airplane for yeah. 15 hours or something when you're 65 or 70. I you know. don't want to do it. I know. So, yeah, it's, I, I always encourage people to do it now. Was there ever a, uh, a country that you went to that you're okay never going back again? Yeah. Uh, Aruba, actually. <laughs> I've heard this about Aruba. <laughs> Aruba sucks. And, I mean, granted, I did go there as Loser Island where I was voted off. But like for a reality show. But oh, you I, walked the plank in Aruba? I walked the happened? plank and had to stay in Aruba, like locked Loser down. Loser Island. Um, but no, I mean, I did go there again for a wedding one day thinking, okay, maybe this will change my opinion on the place. And then a tornado hit when I was there. Honestly, I just think it's real. There's no culture there. It's yeah. sort of a wasteland of just cactus. And, and, you know, there's some resorts that were built on a beach, but you could be on a beach anywhere. Like it's one of those places where you literally, there's no, you don't there's feel no reason like, to be there. Yeah, you don't feel like you're in a foreign country. Like if I live on the beach, like why am I going to fly all this way and spend all this money to be on another beach that doesn't even look like anything else? I talked to another comedian we had on the show, Greg Otto, who did cruises for years and years and years. And I was asking him about all these islands. And I said, what's the worst one? <laughs> he said, Aruba. Aruba. He's like, I don't know why anybody goes there. That's what he said. It's, it's just terrible. Like, if the cruise ships didn't go there, it's like there's so many better islands. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, other than that, other countries that I wouldn't go back to, the thing is, I, I've gone back to certain places just because my work will bring me back, and I always try to make it something different every time I go. I have a, a thing, though, where I really want to just see new places whenever I travel, as much as I can. If I have time, I'd like to go somewhere new. Right. So I'd rather not redo a lot of places, but... um like just like a godforsaken horrible place is what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. You know what though? I unfortunately or not unfortunately for me, most of the places I've gone have been for really awesome reasons, like going to a wedding or yeah, an event. Yeah, nobody, like nobody's elaborate. having their destination wedding in a in a, yeah. in a shithole. And or they or if it is a shithole, they're like building something really elaborate, right, and beautiful right. there, and it's a fun party. So I'm getting kind of the best of the best when I'm there. Um, 
Gosh, that's a tough question. I really can't think. I mean, like, Aruba just like came right to my that's mind. That's funny. Um, Have you ever had like a um, any scary incidents with, uh, let's say, police or uh, creepy guys? Cre- yes. Yeah, yes. I mean. Because like you know, you've traveled a lot in Muslim countries, and this can get tough on women. Yes. I know. Um, I, I actually just told this story the other day. I, I think I kind of like blocked it out of my memory because it was kind of a really scary moment. But we were. It was that same trip. I was in Egypt, and we met when we hiked up to the top of Mount Sinai. We met these two American guys, and they were like, "Whatever you do, you need to go to Jordan, and you need to go to see Petra. Just there, you can take a ferry. Just change your trip, stay longer. You have to do it." And it was the best advice I'd ever gotten. It was one of the most magical places I went. It's where they filmed the the Half Moon Crescent yeah. Canyon for Indiana Jones. I've been to Petra. Oh my gosh, Petra! Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I loved it. It was such a cool experience, and. Um, you know, I wasn't prepared. I had zero money, and um, I didn't realize that, like the Jordanian dinar was so much more than the Egyptian pound. So, when I tried to get off the boat in Jordan, I didn't even have enough money to pay for the visa to get off the boat. I had to borrow money from someone, and because it was Ramadan, the banks weren't open, and so I had to get w- money wired to me and my my dad at Western Union, and I had to call my dad. And they were like, "Your daughter is requesting money from Jordan." He was like, "What the hell is she doing <laughs> in Jordan?" Like, and uh, so it was an amazing experience to go there. But we decided to walk back into Egypt because it's only 13 miles to walk from Jordan through Israel back into Egypt because we thought that'd be cool to walk through three countries in one day. I and did that down at the bottom. I went from a lot. Yeah. And, and I took a day trip from a lot to uh, Petra. Oh, there you go. So we went, we did exactly that. We went through a lot and then uh, right. was Aqaba a lot and then yeah. back into Egypt. You're going to walk it? We did walk it. Ugh. It's only 13 miles. And from the boat, you could see Saudi Arabia. You could see four countries at the same time. So we well, walked this is through. not hot or anything. Um, or dangerous but go on it wasn't that hot when we were there but we decided to go to the dead sea because it was along the way and i you know honestly like i try to be really respectful of customs like i know i'm not muslim but like if you're you want to be covered up and wear a headdress and you know just be respectful wear long sleeves wear flowy outfits so i would i was had a scarf and everything. But when you go to the Dead Sea, you need to get in a bathing suit and get in the water. So I decided, you know, so my girlfriend and I would get in a bathing suit. Within two minutes of arriving at this beach in a bathing suit, like there had been men all over around the beach. They were playing soccer. They were just doing different things. Swarmed around us and started just pinching and grabbing our skin, like our oh. bare skin. Like like we were aliens that had just landed. They'd never seen so much skin. They probably never seen so much skin. Um, and at first we're like, ha, oh, this is kind of funny. And then we're like, whoa, this is getting really scary really quickly because hordes of men started just running over. And at this point there were probably like 50 men around us. It was turning into kind of like a pack mentality. And so we just ran and jumped back in the car and my friend like drove out of there. We never actually... Um, like we went to another part where we could go into the, to the dead sea, but that was really scary because wow, you hear, is, yeah. you hear stories like in India where gang raped or, or something horrible bus, happens yeah. or like when it starts turning into a pack mentality and people, you know, like crazy things happen. And, and I, I just never thought in this day and age, like something like that could happen. Oh, yeah. You just happens all the time. Yeah. So that was uh, nothing bad happened other than getting pinched a little bit, but it Ooh, was just you're lucky. Yeah, it was scary. I was in. Uh, I went to the Dead Sea, but in Israel. Okay. Like uh, so, yeah, there was none of that because it's you know it's yeah. Israel. But uh, I didn't think they. Oh, so the Dead Sea stretches. I'm trying to get my geography. I, I believe it goes in Jordan and Israel. Okay. Yeah. 
I have to look at a map, but yeah. So it's, it's we uh, we were in an area, and also it was during Ramadan, so they're like totally starved physically and sexually and emotionally like during that time. So it was kind of like a pack of wolves, you know, like they just oh, aren't allowed to, during that's, that time. That's horrible. Yeah, it was kind of a weird, a weird situation that went down. But it didn't really taint my experience overall. Like I thought, um, I mean, I had a great trip. So no um, food issues? You had a strong stomach? Never had a bad... Um, I've only gotten sick a couple of times. And For me, it was India. Yeah, India. I was just going to say India once. Um, Egypt is the other one that wipes people out a lot. They get, people get, get, it people in get Egypt. sick there all the time. Uh, Brazil once. And uh, India. And India was so good. I was like... You know, using I didn't bottled eat meat. water. Yes, I did everything. Well, no, it, I ate the meat. I was eating like the street food too. I was just really safe about like things that are washed in water. Mm-hmm. But it was my birthday and the very last day that I was there, and I went to a really nice spa. It was like a kind of a Western spa. And at the end of it, they gave me like a little Dixie cup of water. And I just had been so careful the whole trip. I let my guard down because I was in a nice place, and I drank uh-huh. just a tiny little bit of water. Got deathly ill. Like had on the plane ride back for seventeen oh, hours. Was deathly ill. That's the Ill. worst. On the plane is the worst. Yeah, it was awful, and it was my birthday, and I was like, "Oh, why did I do that? That was so stupid." But that was, you know, other than that, I've been pretty good, I'm pretty safe about <laughs> oh, it. Man. What's the one place you want to go that you've never been? That you've been dying to go to. Well, I really, I'm trying to plan it for New Year's, but I really want to go see the Northern Lights up in Finland and stay in a. Igloo I just got hotel. back from Finland. Stop it! We need I to did. talk about this. I was did you in see the Northern Lights? For three weeks. No, it's not that time of year yet. When is it? I think it's the winter. That's what, that's what yeah. I was saying. Yeah, it was yeah. like December. Okay. I need to talk to you because I've never been to Scandinavia. And okay. I, I just and did I really, three weeks there. Oh my God. We have to talk because I really want to plan a trip there because I, I want to go and also next year in. Um, in June. I've never done Croatia, but I really want to do road trip it through, but also just. I'm trying to check off a bunch of countries, right? And there's so many in Eastern Europe I just haven't done yeah. that you can just drive through in even one day if you wanted to. But I want to I wanna go to the... I've never done the Czech Republic. I'd love to see Albania. I'd love to just go to countries I know nothing about. Like, stop, be like, what's the currency? What's going on? Just, yeah. you know, just experience it. Croatia, okay. I've been like three times, four times. Look at now, you, but, bad. But that bad. one is like, yeah, for different reasons. But... uh I love it. It's great. Uh, my friend you is renting a, a sailboat for two weeks at the end of June, so I wanted to kind of do That's a cool. road trip and then jump on the sailboat. There's all these little islands there. that And, and islands like uh, you'd never heard of that were just these total party islands. And then people just take boats and all around. It's the Mediterranean, you know. So people just go... They oh, my gosh. From, like, you see big yachts and, and sailboats and stuff. I'm and, so picking your brain to do yeah, these it's really, trips. Yeah, really cool. How did you like Scandinavia? It was great. You know, it's, it's so easy. To get around, it's everything's safe and clean, and you know they're wealth. They have a higher standard of living than we do, you know. So it's just it's easy. Yeah. Everybody speaks English. There's nothing. It's expensive. Can be expensive. Okay. So bring money. Okay. That that helps a lot. The, <laughs> like if you're used to LA prices, which you are, and New York and stuff like that, it, it, like the food and everything, it seemed to be kind of on equal because you think you're not tipping, which adds a lot to our bill here. Right. And like sales tax is all kind of included in one. So when you figure all that in, it's about the same. Okay. But the booze is any kind of alcohol is expensive. It's really taxed high. Wow. And so if you're going to be drinking, which I've been known to do on occasion, <laughs> uh, you're going to pay for that. That That's where it gets you. Okay. But everything else is, you know, it's not cheap. It's not Bali. You what know. would be your favorite place to to go in Scandinavia? 
Or is it easy to go all over? You can go all over. I mean, I was taking literally, I went from Copenhagen to Oslo to Stockholm to Riga, Latvia, and then Tallinn, Estonia, and then uh, Helsinki. So I did all that. And some of those, I mean, you can train through a lot of those, but I took like, there's Norwegian Air. I took like a $60 flight one way or something. So it cuts the time and it's yeah, so yeah. easy and it just, it's simple. So, I mean, that, uh, it's all easy. You can do it. That's what he said when you talk about doing physical stuff. And when I came back from that, people were asking me, how was it? I said, it was great. But, you know, I could have done it when I was 60. You know what I mean? Okay. Because it's so easy. It's just so easy. And the food is, it's a lot of meat and potatoes. It's, you know, the spice isn't going to hurt you. It's all clean and, you know. Was there any a lot fun of fish, adventure stuff good. to do or no? Oh, sure. I mean, I didn't get it. I only was doing cities. So, I mean... Especially in Norway, it's if you go up to the fjords and all that stuff. I didn't get to see all that, and uh, I would love to go on up north and in the Laplands of you know Finland and were stuff. Were you just like there that. for fun, or what were you? Yeah, doing? yeah, yeah. I was yeah. doing that, and um, I was shooting some video for uh, a couple of websites and cool. things like that that I and writing for some stuff. But it was mostly just for me. I got some crazy one-way flight months ago, earlier in the year. American advertised like one way to. From L.A. to Copenhagen for 325 bucks. Oh, wow. So I just bought it, and I, I posted on Facebook, hey, I'm buying this, so if anybody... I just picked a date in August. And that was the other thing. You could do it in uh, summer peak season, so which was odd. Yeah. Uh, so I just grabbed it, and a couple of my friends bought it, too, and they hung out with me for the first... One guy stayed a week. One guy stayed 10 days, and then I was on my own for a week, and then I flew and met some friends in Spain. How that. fun. To Malaga and Sevilla and all those places. Oh my gosh. You're out to tell me your travels. It was a good month. Year. It was a good okay. four weeks this summer. Yeah. You travel like more than I do. How many countries have you been to? I think it's about 70 now. Yeah, you got me beat by a little bit. It's not a race. It's not a race. You've got good quality there. But you started young. I never left the country until I was 20, like 21 after college. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not like trying to just cram it in just for the sake of doing it. I, I like to actually experience places, but... Um, no, there's places that you've been... Uh, I still Egypt is still on my list, and it keeps getting moved because it just never works out. I'm glad I went when I did because it was still... It was before all the crazy shit happened, and it was before 9-11. Yeah, no, that's a big difference. So the climate has difference. changed. And then when I went to Israel and did all that stuff, I was going to try to hit it. And then it was like right after the Arab Spring. And it was like, eh, everybody yeah. was, I couldn't get a definite answer of whether it was safe or not. Yeah. And it's just like, until I can get an answer, because everything's destabilized, you know. And, and Mubarak may not have been a great guy, but uh, it was at least stable for 30 years. They, they, they knew what to expect. So what they don't like is instability, which is what's happening. So when you don't, but they do need the dollars. So you can get good deals now. That they're trying to bring back tourism there, but it, like they're doing it in like armored cars. And yeah, stuff I know. Like that. You're hard. like, ah. so what do you think? Like to wrap it up, what do you think? All the um, travel and a life of moving around and, and seeing different cultures. What has it taught you, and how has it changed you as a person? It's funny because I feel like I'm part of some underground like gypsy. Culture. I started wearing, I'm not wearing them all right now, but I started wearing all these gypsy bracelets that I collect from different countries. And as you can see around me, I collect throw pillows around the world. <laughs> uh, th easy things I can bring back. But um, I feel like what it's done for me is has made me a more tolerant, um, open-minded, knowledgeable person. I feel like even if I don't speak the language or 
or something that I always have something to say about everything. I think I've experienced enough in life through my travels that, you know, if somebody's talking about something in a different country or, or some political thing going on, I might not know exactly what's going on, but I've been there, I've traveled, or I understand something where I feel like I can participate in in lots of different conversations. And for me, that's important. I just I feel like I want to just know about the world and not be living in a bubble. And sometimes in, in the industry that I'm in, the wedding world, it's really easy to be sucked into this bubble where you're living in Los Angeles and you're doing these events and you're busy and you're la 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 and you're and, and everybody lives in their own bubble or they have a family and kids or whatever. And I, I think it's important to I like to call it resetting myself when I travel where it pulls you out of your bubble and makes you realize what you have um, and what life is about and that there's so much more out there and just makes you like more human. I don't know how to explain it. And, but as I travel more, I realize um, that there's a lot less people that are like me than I realize in the United States. I wish more were, um, you know, makes the dating pool a little smaller sometimes <laughs> um, because it's hard, it's hard for people to understand the crazy travel schedule that I have or the life that I've chosen to lead, which is very, um, it's very different. You know, I'm, I'm on the go a lot. I'm, I'm traveling and I don't have normal hours and, you know, I'm not like, I don't, I don't even have, I have a TV, but I don't even have cable because I'm never even home enough to watch it. I'd rather just watch like Ted talks or download, <laughs> yeah. download a movie or something like, or watch Netflix. But I think, um, it's just a different lifestyle, but I've chosen to have it and I love it. It's just, it's not, um, there's no like normal routine to it. And, but I think I'm, I'm really thankful for being able to have it because I, I don't know. Sometimes people are like ignorance is bliss, but I think that, you know, I couldn't imagine not having experienced what I've seen or, or not wanting to learn more about the world. There's so much beauty and amazing, just surreal places out there to go to. And that's why it makes me like the more you check off the bucket list, the longer my list gets, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's not getting any shorter. I know. As I you realize, the more you see, the realize how big the play, the world is and just like, oh yeah, that place sounds interesting. But um, it makes me want to also, also... You can't hit them all though. You, you know, you, you got to accept it after a while. And, I know. And there's all of them I don't necessarily want to hit, but I... I mean, I kind of want to do it in a way where I'm not just popping in and out for a week. Like, I'd love to be able to spend a month somewhere and learn what the, it is like to, like, work from a local coffee shop and get to know the butcher and, like, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I've, I've created a career where I kind of could do that. I can write and photograph really anywhere. And now that I'm really focusing on travel photography and writing, then my jobs are taking me to other countries. So um, I'd love to be able to have an international family someday where, you know, we're living in different places around the world and my kids are doing, if I have kids or whatever, are doing what my parents did with us and took us around the world and, and taught us that. Cause I think that's the best education you can get. Well, now that oh, you brought up your business, this is where you can get in your plugs. So where, <laughs> where can people find your uh, website and what are, where can they see your work? Well, my travel work and all of my lectures and everything are on my site, lauragreer.com. So it's L-A-U-R-A-G-R-I-E-R. And um, you can buy fine art prints. You can see my blog posts. You can see my Wanderlust Wednesday videos where I talk about, um, you know, how a picture is worth a thousand words. And a thousand words or less, I talk about an image I've taken and what I was doing. And um, yeah, and, and my other site is beautifuldayphotography.com. And that is all of my weddings and events from around the world. But I 
I'm expanding all the time. I'm writing for Huffington Post Travel. I'm um, writing, blogging, and shooting for Navica, which is National Geographic's catalog. So even if you just Google my name, you can see a lot of other projects I've been working on. So, Well, cool. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for doing this. Oh my gosh, thank I'm you for having me. I'm glad I could uh, enjoy your awesome view here. Well, it's always awesome to meet another fellow wanderluster. A wanderer. A wanderer. A traveler with a capital T. That's us. Weirdos. <laughs> We're the weirdos. So many W's there. I know. <laughs> Worldly weirdos. Yeah. Well, it's great to meet you. Great meeting you too. Laura Gear, everybody. Thank you. Nice day for my wedding. Whoa! Nice day to start again.